but the benefits of actually walking outside, the benefits for teenagers of getting away from the screen and actually letting yourself slow down. So during the challenges of lockdown, who actually just enjoyed walking around the block, going to a park, disappearing for a while, being able to you know, de-stress and reconnect? That's what's so important about nature and one of the other really important things about the reasons why we need to protect it. That's Heather Campbell, the Chief Executive of Bush Heritage. Heather spoke on Saturday, September 3 at the Doctors for the Environment Annual Conference. Heather was talking about living in harmony. Heather has more than 25 years experience working in sustainability, the environment and safety. In her previous role at the CSIRO, Heather led a large team responsible for health, safety and well-being of the organisation's staff. I'll leave it up to you to check out the show notes where you can learn more about Heather. Welcome to Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. Climate Conversations is published here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Let's have a listen now to what Heather had to say at the recent conference. Thanks everybody and thanks for a warm welcome. Uh, sorry for those that are not in the room, but I'm about to do something which um, those of you at home or in other environments are going to miss out on, unless you run outside and grab a leaf. Preferably a native one, um, and no university property has been destroyed. Okay, <laughs> So I'm just going to ask my colleagues here if they want to hand around these leaves. I'd suggest you do hand sanitise afterwards just because there may be the odd caterpillar that might be on them. But basically, just take the leaf, crack it, sniff it. I want to take you outside of a lecture theatre. Okay, so we can do this as we continue to pass this around. Uh, and those that are at home or elsewhere, please go outside, grab some greenery, crush it in your hand, sniff it, smell it. Take yourself out into the Aussie bush. So the reason for doing this is I want to talk about biodiversity. I want to talk about living in harmony with our natural environment. But I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of this land. So for us, as we are here in Melbourne, um, in this part of Melbourne, it's the Wandery and the Woiwurrung, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and recognise that they've actually had 65,000 years of managing this land for biodiversity, of actively living in it, of actively living in harmony. And I'd like to pay my respects to any traditional owners that may be here with us in the room or those that are on the, um, at home watching this on the screen and for the different lands in which we operate. And as I've been going around the countryside, because we operate in a lot of different areas, it's made me think about well, how, did, how did they manage it? What was the uniqueness about the country? How do we actually intersect and engage with it? And one of the key things about that, oh, and thank you for those that are scrunching these up and putting them in their masks. That's a cool innovation. That's a COVID innovation I actually like. <laughs> Unlike some which I don't like, but, um, but they were out there, they were smelling this. They were seeing it, they were touching it. They could feel the sun. They could feel the breeze. They could see the smallest ant and the tallest trees. And if you imagine that you're Bunjil the eagle, you know, flying over the landscape, you're seeing the interconnectedness of the landscape. You're seeing cultural burning and management in some areas. You're seeing yam daisies being propagated. You're seeing eel traps. 
you're actually seeing the country working in harmony together. So that's where I want to take us and how we think about the future, because at the moment things are not so crash hot. So let's just, you know, I know we have to go to the slightly depressing end of the, the scale to start with, so let's just go there for a minute. So how many of you actually experienced the black summer? How many of you got caught up with actually just breathing in the smoke and impacted from that, which is probably almost everybody in the room and almost everybody at home? So over the black summer, we had 24 million hectares that was destroyed, 33 people died through the fires, and approximately another 450 afterwards because of the smoke. We also had 3 billion animals that are estimated to being killed and um, 60,000 koalas. So things are not looking crash hot. We've had events like that. We've also continued to have land clearing. We are, you know, we've had a recent State of the Environment report. We are the continent and country of extinction. We do that really well. We'd get a gold medal for that one. Um, we're having more fires and floods. We've had extinctions in Australia. So since you know, colonisation, we've had over 100 flora and fauna species that have gone extinct. 34 mammals that we will never see again. You know, things like obviously the Tasmanian tiger that you'd all be aware of. And there are currently 1,700 species or ecological communities that are known to be threatened or at risk of extinction. So for some of you, what that might mean, it can, any of you heard about the mountain pygmy possum? Tiny little possum that you can hold in the palm of your hand, that's one of those on the list. And here in Victoria, we have 300 species that are on the threatened species list that we could work on. We've also had, since colonisation, 44% of our woodlands and forests cleared. And it continues today. So we're continuing to have native logging in Australia, but um, particularly in Victoria, but thank you very much to the government who's made commitments about stopping of native logging. Uh, we've also had continuing land clearing across parts of Australia. And I'll just use one example. I was up in uh, west of Cairns on the Atherton Tablelands at a property that Bush Heritage runs, uh, our Yorker facility. And you drive through pastoral operations to get there. And I was sort of used to seeing pastoral operations, but I was actually shocked to see that it'd then be further cleared for cotton. I'm going, what on earth is dryland cotton doing up here? So we are continuing as a country to clear land. And of course, our suburbs are growing. We've also, as some of the previous speakers spoke about, you know, got increased uh, temperature rises. 2021 globally was the sixth warmest year on record. We're looking at a trajectory that is not great. And if you look at some of those pictures up there, we've also had issues of dieback. So the sort of dead tree that you can see on your, whatever that is left, uh, that's from drought and heat shock. So that's actually from Wedderburn area, so west of Bendigo. The burnt area, that is from the black summer, that is Burren Burren, which is a reserve we own near um, Braywood, near uh, Canberra, and that was completely burnt out. And then the picture of a cat. How many of us love cats? You can say that you love cats. How many of you keep your cats inside? Yes. Uh, cats are by far one of our biggest menaces. So we've seen an increase in weeds and feral animals. So with cats, they estimate that there's somewhere between 2.1 to 6.3 million feral cats. And they love eating Australia fauna. So that just gives you an example of 
the context that we're operating in, and people can get quite depressed about it. And particularly those that work in the conservation sector, I have had a number of staff that when the State of the Environment report came out, went effectively into a state of depression. And there is a lot of that sort of thing happening, particularly for our younger people. But from my perspective, there is hope. There is always hope because we as a species, and we're just one species on the planet, are also one of the most inventive, we're great at solving problems, and when we work collectively together, we can make a huge difference. So what I want to do today is share some stories of hope, share some examples of things that we are seeing out in the wild, and yes, I'll blatantly use bush heritage, but I could be talking about any one of the conservation organisations that's managing land, whether that be Tasmanian Land Conservancy, Australian Wildlife Conservancy, you know, Bird Life, the work they do, Greening Australia, and I'm going to forget a whole lot of others. Landcare, of course, with all the local community groups. So I could be talking about any of us because it's about that collective effort. And so I'm just going to share a series of, of visuals of some of the landscapes and some of the areas we operate in. This is an example from Nari. So think about a Yantabula swamp, like a swamp area west of Burke. And this is a partnership between us as land managers, between the traditional owners, the budgetee, and that's Phil Yellow from Budgie, and the New South Wales government where the government's recognised the importance of that swamp and says, we'll actually help pay stewardship payments year on year to help you manage it. Because at the moment, Bush Heritage is 95% philanthropically funded, which is fantastic because it shows the strength of the community behind it. But to also have the government there actually saying, this is important, this swamp area is important, and we'll help you do that. And what they provide us with pays for Phil's wage as a project officer. So just an example of the fact that we need everybody. We need civil society. We need the different forms of government. We need the traditional owners, all of us working together. Because if we don't work together, we're going to lose more of these sort of magical environments. And as I said, I was recently up there in York, and to understand that you've got uh, greater gliders, that you've actually got this amazing frog population. We think we may have found a frog that's well outside of its range, which is pretty cool then you've got that ability to actually save these areas and take people out into nature. So what does Bush Heritage do? We're an organisation that's about bringing the bush back to life. Somebody said to me the other day, I need to do a seven minute pitch. I'm going, okay, uh, sorry, seven second pitch. So the speed version of that is we're the people that get out there, get our hands dirty day in, day out, managing the country for its biodiversity from the smallest stand to the tallest tree. So what does that actually translate to? And where did we come from? So the reason for sharing the story of where we came from, it's a pretty important as far as sharing the story of the power of individuals. The power of individuals to make change by bringing people along on the journey. So 30 years ago we were started by Bob Brown when he had two little blocks of land in Tasmania and didn't want them to be logged. And so he actually got his friends around him and said, how are we going to do this? He had money from the environmental prize that he won for the um, Franklin Dam campaign. And so he put a deposit on. Had no clue how he was going to pay for it. And unlike the previous presentation, there were no banks going, hey, yeah, we'll fund this. <laughs> but you know, they were more likely to be behind the guns company that wanted to you know, log it. So he got people together. And that's how the journey started 30 years ago. And then if we fast forward, we're now looking after uh, we're, we're looking after over 7,000 native species. And that's not all of them, because we haven't worked out all the invertebrates. 
This is just those things that we know from amazing little spider orchids that require a wasp to be pollinated all the way through to your, your, your betongs and your quolls up to your bigger species and across the 11.3 million hectares of land. So that's half the size of Victoria. So it's a fairly large area and we've got those 50 research projects. So what I'd like to do now is just share some stories of some of the excitement that we've had as we've been looking at that. So if I look at then our, what we do on the 42 owned reserves, it's about, we call it, it's unsexy, it's fire, ferals and weeds. That's what our day to day is. Get rid of the feral animals, manage the weeds and introduce fire from a cultural burning type perspective to manage then the landscape. So I'd like to share an example of, of one of our little sort of successes at the moment. Um, and this is not a stuffed real one. It's, um, you can get these from the zoo. So this is a plains wanderer, glorious little bird. Uh, and we thought it liked hanging out in areas with very little grass cover. It liked to you know, hide almost in the sort of the gravel and a few tufts, etc. And you can find it in Northern Victoria, Southern New South Wales, across into South Australia, and we've also got them in Queensland. And this is the one that's cl most closely re re uh, related to dinosaurs. So it's with species we can't afford to lose. So a couple of years ago, three years ago, my researchers went into fits of joy when they almost ran them over. Sorry, that wasn't what they were planning to do. But they'd put sound meters out, couldn't hear them, couldn't hear them, and then they found three hanging out in a track on the, um, just coming away from the Borkamata homestead. Fast forward to this year, and obviously we've had a bit more rain in those arid areas, so this is a reserve west of Broken Hill. I got a text message the other day, Heather, we've found 40. And we've even got videos of a male sitting on the eggs. And this is, we know we still have cats in the environment, and these are, you know, great bite size for a cat. We know we still have some of those issues, but we've tipped the balance. Yes, we've had the weather, but we've also, through the management of the land, tipped the balance in favour of these. And that's what this is about. That's what living in harmony is about, is trying to tip the balance in favour of our native species and giving them a chance. What is really critical is doing that in partnership with traditional owners, because they have 65,000 years of knowledge on how to manage the land. It's in their stories. It's in their songs. It's in their paintings. So it's really important how we actually walk together and we work together to heal the land. So we do that through the 160 staff, amazing amount of supporters and the volunteers. But we all know, and we were listening to those presentations earlier, we have to do more and we have to do it now. So how are we going to do that? We need to be more ambitious. We want to be, by 2030, you know, we want to be the partner of choice. We want to have deepened and doubled our impact across the landscape. And to do that, and it's not just us. If you talk to my colleagues at Australian Wildlife Conservancy, they're saying exactly the same. If you talk to my colleagues at Greening Australia, they're about revegetating large parts of the landscape, making the connections across the landscapes so that all of our species, flora and fauna, have got that fighting chance and so that we can tip the balance. Now, I will get on to then what's really important with how you can actually help do that and how your patients can do that. But just to give you a context of where we're looking at operating in Australia, those are the landscapes in which we operate. So if you look at the way we've described the land there, we've broken them up into areas that are gonna be relatively resilient to climate change, 
not surprisingly, a lot of the arid areas because they're already arid. Ones where we need to reconnect the landscape. So for those of you who are based here in Melbourne, think about when you drive up the Hume. Think about the, the patches of green that you see and how we need to connect those so that there's a stepping stone for species. Because species are going to need to be able to move through the landscape as things warm up. They're going to need to be able to find areas of refuge. And then there's those areas that we need to strengthen where we might have conservation reserves and others have reserves where we need to actually make them bigger. We need to have those areas of refuge. We also need to make sure that we stop land clearing, that we protect the areas that we've got, and that we give them the long-term protection. And one of the ways that we've done that is, and this is in Queensland, this is the home of the night parrot. So are any of you crazy about birds? There's always a few. Um, I'm, more, I'm more of a, you know, what can bite you and kill you type person, but, you know. Uh, for those who are really crazy about birds, this is the home of the night parrot that was thought to be extinct for many years and then was uh, found in Queensland. But what's really important here is that's now got protection so it cannot be mined or logged. If you look at most pastoral lease type environments within Australia, they can still be mined. They can still be logged. But this is an area where we've been able to get those uh, things extinguished, so it effectively has the same protection as a national park. So we need the legislative changes. We need the government support on things like that. We also need to continue to buy new, or not new, areas to connect the landscape and new reserves. So this is between the two existing reserves in Tasmania. Uh, it's called Glover's Flat. And again, you get that amazing connection. Now changing tact a little bit. So that's all the things that we need to do as society and organisations such as ourselves and other land managers and conservation organisations are heavily involved with. And we, those of us that work out there day in, day out, see the intrinsic value in nature because it gives us a whole lot of benefits, whether it be as pollinators from an economic benefit, you're not going to get any crops if you don't have pollinators, but also from what it does to us as a human species. And some of the key things in that relate to health. And many of you will know this far better than I do, actually. A lot of the data around, actually, the health benefits of being out in nature. And if you look at that uh, tree, somewhere you can see a flash of blue towards the bottom of it, that's a person. So it gives you the sense of, of scale there. But the benefits of actually walking outside, the benefits for teenagers of getting away from the screen and actually letting yourself slow down. So during the challenges of lockdown, who actually just enjoyed walking around the block, going to a park, disappearing for a while, being able to you know, de-stress and reconnect? That's what's so important about nature and one of the other really important things about the reasons why we need to protect it. There's been a lot of work and a lot of research done and that particular uh, information was from a, a South Australian health promotion with about healthy people, healthy parks. There's also been a lot of work done um, across the world, including the UK. So one of those in relationship came up with a series of policy recommendations for the, uh, the UK government, which was around how we make sure that, for example, with the planning side of things, we're increasing access, we're protecting the natural environment that we have, we're making green places, spaces safe. Because if you think of some of our cities, some of our green spaces, people don't necessarily feel safe going into them, particularly at times of the day. And we need to develop a lifelong relationship with this and with being able to smell a gum leaf and be able to get that sense of wonder of hugging a tree. 
So this is one of my staff actually hugging a tree an hour north of Melbourne uh, and actually getting that reconnection. So if we're going to live in harmony, what is the role of all of you as doctors? There's heaps of ways you can get involved. Just, just get involved. Part of that is actually changing your carbon footprint and, and I'm on a journey, it's, it's not easy. I've got you know, two teenage kids that like being taxied everywhere and like being connected to anything that consumes energy. So you know, it's a challenge, but how we, we do that, how we actually encourage our patients, our families, those that we're connected with to get out in nature, to actually spend that time. And I know um, when my daughter was having some major anxiety issues, Getting her to sit still in nature was almost impossible, but at least getting her out was a start and getting that connection and that sense and then being able to run around in nature. You know, for the, those that want to, being able to donate and support those groups that do work in arid areas or other parts of Australia, just support whatever makes your heart sing in this area. It might be your local land care group, it might be your local friends of group, it might be bigger organisations such as ourselves. And also that opportunity to volunteer. There is always that opportunity, both from an unskilled perspective, which is, you know, plant trees and pull weeds, and there is sort of joy in pulling weeds. Um, or if you'd like to help us kill 400 hectares of wheel cactus up in northern Victoria, there's nothing like stabbing a cactus. Um, safely, of course, but, you know, um, it does have some mental therapeutic things around it. But, but also being able to utilise your skills too. And so I'd just like to share uh, two stories. One of, we recently had some donors who were volunteers at our Bon Bon Reserve, and it's remote, it's an hour and a half from Coobapiti, and we did actually have a health emergency then. Now, the team had got remote area first aid, but it was amazing the additional support that that doctor actually provided. He was just happened to be there at the time. He then also stopped in on the family, uh, then later at Port Augusta to see how they were going, and, and the person's fine. But being able to connect in, for organisations like us to be able to connect in with trained professionals to help build our skills and capability and to then connect in with you know, RFDS, et cetera, to know when we're you know, out, of, out of our bandwidth of ability has been really helpful as we build our processes and systems and be able to connect in. The other thing, just from a, I suppose a mental health perspective, I just wanted to share a story of complete joy that I had one day. And I was wanting to find a pygmy possum. Now, I'm not in the Alps of Victoria. This was in the southwest WA. And I said to the team, let's look at the nest boxes, let's see what we find. So, of course, nest box number one, open, absolutely nothing. Next box number two, a whole colony of huntsmen's. Sort of cool for those of us that like spiders. And our most viral social media was of a nest box of huntsmen just exploding out of the nest box. I still like that. And then the third one, we open it up and there's this little bed of leaves and a little pygmy possum, so tiny in the pummy hand. So our ecologist goes to scoop their hand in to pick it up to show me and she pulls her hand out. I don't know, what's going on? And then up pop two little heads. And that sense of joy and wonder you get of being able to bounce around and go, yeah, sorry, you know, sorry, pygmy possum. Or listening to a story of one of our fundraisers the other day who said, I sat on the side of the Murrumbidgee at dawn for an hour with my hot water bottle on my lap, with it snowing, because I was freezing, but I did see the platypus. And he was there doing a platypus count. And that involved freezing, 
and sitting there with the hot water bottle, but that sense of joy and wonder that he got and that story he's now got that he shares and you get that sense of joy and wonder and that uplifting feeling as he shares that. And that's what engaging with nature is all about. So I just encourage you to get out there, encourage your patients to get out there, whether that's just as simple as the local park or whether that be in the more arid areas. Engage with nature, it is wonderful. Support those organisations that are actually doing a whole lot of the work. The tough stuff, because when it's 50 degrees on the edge of the Simpson Desert and you're doing ecological assessments, it's not a lot of fun. Or when you need your hot water bottle on the side of the Murrumbidgee up on the Monero. But thank you so much. Well, thank you, Heather. I agree with you. Yes, get out there, get amongst the nature and enjoy it. Soak it up. Well, that wraps up this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. And until we talk again, please take care, stay safe and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And again, I urge you, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends. So until we talk again, please take care.